Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got David Henkin and Thomas Bertels on the line. Gentlemen, how are you? Very well. Great. Really looking forward to this conversation. We talked about it a bit in the pre-show, and I thought I better get recording on this. Otherwise, we're going to say everything in the pre-show, which I've done more than once in my career. So uh, why don't we get started and have each of you introduce yourself, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sounds great. Be delighted. Uh, uh, Michael, again, thank you. Uh, hello to, uh, to everyone out there. Uh, so I, I advise organizations, teams, and individuals on innovation and increasing their capacity for achievement. Uh, my experience includes a chief innovation officer at a publicly traded technology company, uh, EVP, leading startups from inception to acquisition, uh, being an executive entrepreneur, a, a board member and advisor for many years now. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm Thomas Bertels. I'm a management consultant. I've been uh, privileged to, over the last 30 years, to work with many of the world's leading companies, from like Fortune 100 companies, um, down to scale-ups and startups, on, on helping them become more efficient and effective. Um, and in, in the context of that, transform and change how the work gets done. And so my background originally is in business process re-engineering, Lean Six Sigma, and that work is really evolved more overall, like how work gets done. So like what, what's the operating model for getting work done? And, you know, I, I was, I was uh, privileged to really identify this opportunity to say, you know, we, we talk a lot about people, we talk a lot, a lot about process, we talk a lot about technology. I think we're underestimating really the people side and what it takes for people to really bring their best to bear uh, at work. And I noticed that even the first time I met Thomas, if it's okay to, to add, you know, it was, it was as, I, as I think about it, love at first readout. Um, you know, I was leading a transformation uh, program at, at Vanguard, gosh, over 20 years now. Uh, Thomas was part of a consulting firm, and he was simply amazing, uh, you know, and, and being able to, to pull apart these various dimensions. Uh, fortunately, we became fast friends and collaborators on many projects. Uh, since then, uh, he's really one of the smartest, most capable people uh, you'll, ever, you'll ever meet. No, I definitely agree. I mean, both of you are. That's why I was so happy to be able to have both of you on the show for this discussion. And yeah, we'll dive into the book in a moment. But, you know, I, I'm sure that both of you, as you know, a lot of people, of course, uh, experienced over the last few years, we had this particular event that really put the world uh, upside down in, in some aspects, uh, work and where we work definitely was uh, altered a bit. So uh, I just love, you know, and obviously I'm sure the book covers this, but, you know, what are your thoughts about, you know, some of the things that were brought forth by the pandemic when it comes to work environments and work and people? So um, Thomas, why don't you lead off on that one? Yeah, I think, I mean, the reality is, right, COVID really transformed, right, how we work. And I think one of the things that it has done is it has let people, as they were sitting at home, right, trying to get their work done, to realize that what they want from work and what they get from work, there's oftentimes a big gap in between. And um, and, and so I think people, I think, woke up a little bit and, and started to look for, you know, more purpose, more meaning 
in work and, and many people have not just like had the thought, but they actually took action, right? That's why we see that increase in the quit rate, right? That's quite frankly, has been going on for the last 10, 15 years. But the pandemic has really, I think, pushed that to a point where, you know, it's, it's, it's time for leaders to pay attention. And in addition to that, I mean, we, we heard things like, you know, the great resignation and quiet quitting and, you know, en- you know, engagement is so low. We see from Gallup that, you know, 60 percent of employees arguably are, are are not engaged. And this is where, you know, line of sight to value realization isn't as clear as it could be. So things like feedback, autonomy, uh, purpose, uh, you know, the, the elements that are discussed here are so important and the outcomes are so available and evident. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we think the space for this is really important and and uh, and now is a great time to talk about it. Well, definitely. And, you know, I see the organizations that do well and retain people are the ones that engage and they make the environment healthy. And, you know, healthy can mean a lot of different things to people. And, you know, I've mentioned this a few times on my show, a, a colleague or a good friend of my brother's and I um, owns a series of bars and restaurants in the metro Detroit area. He expanded during the pandemic. Now, that was not something you typically saw in the restaurant industry during that time, but he grew and he only lost one employee during that time, even when you couldn't have people come into the restaurants. Unfortunately, that one employee had passed away after contracting COVID, hmm. but everybody else was retained. He didn't lay anybody off. He was able to navigate, implement the systems, do you know food delivery, market it, all that good stuff, because he had some pretty loyal patrons as well. It was a combination of he had teams and staff that were willing to work and, and do the work and with all the protections that were necessary. He had patrons that wanted to continue to support it. And you know, to the point where you know he grew and, and took over another restaurant. And so his business is booming. And it's, when I go in there and I, I, you know, I don't visit Metro Detroit very often. It's where I'm originally from. But when I do go there and I'm in town and, you know, my brother and I will go out to one of his places, you know, I, I've been to a, you know, a couple of them and the experience is the same, even though the different varieties of places is you feel how the people interact, the staff interacts with him, with the patrons. It just feels you know, really warm and genuine and not you know antiseptic, which unfortunately a lot of places are. And that's because, you know, those employees, you know, quoting an old Bob Seeger song, feel like a number and they don't they don't feel engaged. And, you know, the the Gallup stats and the other stats that I've seen, you know, are indicating that, yeah, people just don't feel connected to their work, which is really sad if you think about it, because it's robbing society of great products and services because the people aren't in it to they're just kind of there to do the work there's no inspiration there's no drive to make something better or improve in in many cases so it's yeah. it, you know, the, the the timeliness of this book is so critically important it's such a great point i mean as as an executive in firms like the one in the book i mean there you're absolutely right there's a huge opportunity for i mean development planning succession planning and quite frankly innovation around work design uh you know whether it's uh you know hundreds of people in a, in a services department or uh you know SaaS tech firms or managed services for firms autonomy you know, feedback meaning skill variety, you know, entirety, or the, you know, to be able to own something from start to finish, 
and the technology that supports the work. Increasingly important as we see technology to continue to advance in our work in our workplaces. You know, this triple win that we talk about, you know, employee engagement, uh, improved customer outcomes, and improved productivity and, and, and well-being on behalf of the organization itself is so available and so possible and so rewarding. So let's talk about the book. You know what? I always ask authors this, you know, what in the world motivated you to give up so much of your time to write a book? Because it is a time consuming adventure for sure. But I know with both of your careers and expertise, you had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of tool bags to grab from to, to put this together on top of, you know, what you've been seeing over the last you know couple of decades plus, you know, over the last few years. So, you know, what motivated you to get this book out? Well, I think one thing that we saw, right, as, as we, uh, you know, we're talking about, it's like this opportunity, right, that we really, I think, have a unique opportunity to make work better, is that while there's a lot of books out there, there's a lot of these very typical business books, right, that have these case studies that says, right, here's the idea, here's the very famous company that applied the idea, here's all the great benefits they got from that. And my experience, and also I think David's experience has been working inside these organizations, that it really never really is as neat as it looks in these case studies. And so we thought that there really is an opportunity, I think, to create a, a more accessible um, story that, that depicts like a realistic scenario of how this actually looks like in a real organization. And it's not as neat and tidy, right, as take an idea, implement it, count the money. And so everybody loves the story, right? And, and we really wanted to create something where the reader can find themselves in their work context and gets like a realistic idea as to like, you know, what's involved and not only what the challenges are to make work better, but also what the, what the payoff is. And the payoff goes way beyond just like the numbers in terms of productivity and efficiency. It's really a, a fundamentally transformed organization. It's a different workplace. It has a different culture. Um, and I think, you know, in your example, right, with your, with your relative, right, you alluded to that, right? I think, I think these, these benefits ultimately matter in making an organization stronger. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're highlighting the, the human in the work design. So writing a story format seemed, you know, far more human with characters that you care about, circumstances you can relate to uh, in ways that make it easier to emulate, quite frankly, to learn from. Uh, you know, myself as a leader in organizations like the one depicted, you know, as, as we hear, as I hear from 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 folks in terms of where they are today with some of the issues that we're dealing with, you know, many, many leaders want to engage and fix work, you know, that they, they want the playbook that this book can offer. It's so important and it, it just and it reminds me of in my throughout my career, uh, you know, there's been some snippets of great experiences that I've had at the places that I've worked. And I was even reminiscing this morning about a couple of those. Uh, and, you know, time and time again, I mentioned I worked for an internet startup company uh, at the turn of the century uh, during the dot-com era, which was uh, absolutely crazy back then. Uh, we were basically hiring IT people from around the world. Recruiters were placing people, and then six months later, placing them to, at another place with you know fifteen or $20,000 salary increase. It was just zany, a fun time to be in for sure. You know, not sustainable as we all discovered, but definitely fun time. But I remember working for this company and the first day I was in uh, tech support and building out servers and deploying them across the US and whatnot. Uh, but my boss came to me and it was at 3.32 PM. I remember the time specifically and 
he said, okay, I'm just going to lay down the ground rules for, you know, how we're going to work here. I'm like, okay, here it comes. I figured, oh, I already started having buyer's remorse. And he said, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you go home. As long as you get your work done, you, you were good. Here's my cell number. Here's my pager number to kind of date that. I'm here Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm on the East Coast the other days. If you need anything, let me know. Reach out anytime. Have fun while you work here. And it was just like, I literally sat back in my chair going, am I dreaming? What is this? And I had a blast. I was there. Stay, and it was, it was one of those things where I could have gone to other places, but I stayed there for well over three years because it was a safe environment to allow me to create. We always had meetings on Monday mornings. We talked about different things and ideas, and it was just a fun, fun place to be. And I put that in my tool bag. So when I was leading organizations, I had that same talk with people. I gave them the power, the autonomy to create and, you know, be an adult and, and run their own schedule. And I found the performance of people that I did that with that took it to heart was always better than the ones just like, okay, check-ins at 8.30, you punch out at 5. And, you know, it just, it felt more human. It was like there was a human conversation that happened there and not just this widget type of conversation. Yeah, I think that's a great example, right? And the question that sometimes I ask on the, at the beginning of an engagement is, I think about like the best job you ever had and, and list the attributes, right? And people like write down the list of things, right? As you describe, right? The autonomy and so forth. And then you ask them, describe the worst job you ever had, right? And that tends to be kind of like the polar opposite, right? It's a job where you had, right? You were just doing a tiny thing. You had no autonomy. You didn't know how you were doing, right? And so I think the reality is we all, I think, have the same intrinsic needs when it comes to work. We want to contribute at the top of our game and want to contribute to something that's bigger than ourselves. And so right, people are looking for, as David said, meaningful work, autonomy, right, feedback, the right tooling. And the reality though is that I think managers and executives rarely, right, you, you had an example of an exception, uh, designs like the work context intentionally to allow people to get what they need from work out of the job itself. And that again, is like the message that we want to drive home with the book, that, that in order to get the best out of people, you really got to design the work intentionally to address their intrinsic psychological needs, as well as the needs of the business and the needs of the customer. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. And we, we could talk a lot about what makes a well-designed, intrinsically motivating job. But part of what I think you mentioned up front, which Thomas just commented on, look, it, it takes a leader willing to see beyond the status quo. Right. I mean, it's actually possible. I mean, from we, we, we talk from experience, you know, it, it takes people leaders willing to wanting to improve for their employees, for their customers, for the company itself. I mean, the rewards are there. The evidence is overwhelming. Yeah, and it just again, it, it creates a healthy organization. That organization went on to go public. Um, it was great to get those stock options in the early days. Um, I, I cashed those bad boys in. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was, again, a, a wonderful place to be. And I love, Thomas, your example of you know, your favorite job versus the unfavorite. And I just in my mind kind of had that. It was kind of going through. And I think one of the key words that popped up was trust 
And it was just either one organization, they trusted me to do things and the other one didn't. And it was, you know, we see that common as well as, do you trust your employees? And I've asked this question when I work with teams. So do you trust your employees? Well, I don't trust them. I said, well, you need to fire them right now then. Well, we can't fire them. They're too good. They're really good. It's like, wait a minute. You you say you don't trust them, but you're, and, and a lot of it, I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Unfortunately, in many, many organizations, the managers are not trained on how to deal with people. They're, you know, they can manage a process and you know, flow charts and kind of using Henry Ford's assembly line type of model type of thing. And I think that is a model that needs to go away. I'm, I'm originally from Detroit, as I mentioned, so it's probably blasphemy to say we need to throw Henry Ford out. But I think it's time. It's been long overdue. Um, design work for the people, as as you talk about so much. But I, I think it just boils down to, you know, creating uh, an organization that has all the things and you know the the psychological safety. I'm seeing a lot of that conversation now too, where you know people need to feel safe and. When there's layoffs and economies and wars and all that kind of stuff, people don't feel safe. So that you know, that's a component that, again, a lot of these managers you know don't necessarily have the training, and it's the the few ones that will either have it because of their own experiences or they intentionally seek and learn those types of attributes. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I think that's true, um, and but I think we also don't really train managers for that. Right? You take somebody who performs really well as a salesperson and say, hey, you can manage a team of salespeople. Right? And some people, right, sometimes called the Peter principle, right? you promote people to the point right, where they become uh, no longer effective. Um, but we don't give them training, to your point, about like, you know, managing people. But we also don't really teach them around like, how to structure the work in a way that it brings out the best in people. Right? And, and so it, it's <laughs> one expression that I love is nobody washes a rental car. Right? In the history of rental cars, nobody ever washed a rental car. And so I think the, the relation to the, to the work world is if people don't feel ownership for a work product from start to finish, why would they care? And oftentimes we apply right, Frederick Taylor's approach of like breaking work into small bits and bobs and we spread the whole job across seven different departments. And so what, it, what that then leads to is that nobody feels accountable for the entire work product. Nobody feels accountable for the customer. And that's really a design choice, right? Somebody up front said, you know, let's break it down to the little bits and bobs because that's, we've always, that's the way we've always done it. Everybody in the industry does it. All the job descriptions that I have in my previous job, right, incorporate that thinking. And so oftentimes right, people just copy paste the job description and say, I need a customer service rep, give me one of those. And so we're really missing, I think, an opportunity to rethink work and say, we're no longer in the 1920s. Yeah. We're in the knowledge economy, right? People, people, I think, deserve, I think, that autonomy, that sense of ownership for the work product. And the manager role itself can also change, right? Managers actually benefit from well-designed work, at least as much as the employees. They have to do less tracking, planning, checking, reviewing. It's, it's an opportunity for them to then focus on cultivating talent. Really, this is sort of the opposite of the Peter Principle. Uh, you know, HR leaders, uh, you know, would respond by by uh, in investing in the in the human development that would go along with cultivating the skills necessary in a, in a much more humanistic way. 
you know, just makes it so much better in a healthier environment, a healthier workplace, which creates better products and services, which society benefits from. So in closing, as we wrap up, I'd love to hear your favorite part of your book. You know, that's kind of like saying, who's your favorite kid if you have kids, but you know, what's, you know, what's the favorite part of, of the book for each of you? David, I'll let you go first. Um, so, uh, great, great question. And to your point, it's a, it's a hard thing to answer. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the 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 ability to to take some entrepreneurial aspects and apply them in a broader context, I think, you know, is something that I hope folks will relate to. And in a startup, people tend to know what the what the vision mission is, right? There isn't a cash cow to protect. Uh, and to be able to bring that sense of uh, of clarity and purpose and meaning and apply it in a much more uh, typically complex and difficult environment. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, I won't, won't give the story away, but it's not easy, right? And we'll, you know, you, you get to see what happens as, as the as the, the tensions there arise and the opportunities uh, uh, present themselves. Yeah, my my favorite part of the book is where I think the protagonist Jerry uh, Jerry Crawford, uh, this manager, really starts to engage the people that work in this in this department to rethink how work gets done, and he realized that if you do that. Right? You really amplify it's like the force behind this and you get like the best thinking of not just like one person, but everybody involved. And again, you build a sense of ownership. Um, and that also allows you to, to really start to unpack, I think, some of these dogmas and paradigms that we have about how work gets done and start to challenge that. Right? And I think that really, in my view, is like the key to really unlock the value there. Because if it's just a manager who makes decisions in his office and says like, all right, I'm gonna draw the job boundaries differently. Um, that's, that's, that's good, that's a good start. But I think the real unlock comes from doing that in a way that really brings everybody into the process. So at the end of the day that they feel the ownership. So it becomes sustainable, right? So when that manager moves on, right, again, Right, motivational work design has been around for like five decades, right? And in many organizations that implemented that like five decades ago, it's still in place, right? Because employees don't leave a well-designed job that that right, delivers for them, that gives them what they need, even if somebody right dangles ten thousand dollars more in front of them. And I think you had that story in in one of your in one of your podcasts, right? Where you stayed. I think it was the job you just described, right? Where you stayed in that role and said like. No, no, no. It's like, you know, it's like the, the, the money is one thing, right? But I think the ability to, to again, right, be, be your own self at work and contribute to something important. I think that's really what people crave. And I think that's today more important than it ever was, right? Everybody wants, I think, something that has a purpose because the pandemic showed us life is short, right? And, and so we better make the best out of it. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. So love this conversation, gentlemen. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing book? Uh, the short answer to that is fixing-work.com. Uh, uh, go to fixing-work.com. There's a lot out there about the book. There's some additional resources. There's ways to engage further. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So, Thomas and David, I really appreciate your time today. And I'm really looking forward to diving into this book more and more. So thank you again for being on the show. Michael, thank you thank for you. having us. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.